Welcome to Antimatter Pod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext, and subspace, hosted by Annika and Liz. This week, we're taking a trip back to 1977 to discuss a write-up of a panel on feminism in Treklet. And I pushed for this one because I promised us scenes and I had misremembered where the zine archive was. And then I stumbled across this essay and it was so interesting and wild and I figured we could probably get some discussion out of it. Absolutely. I just want to start by saying that treklet is the cutest little word ever. I know! Treklet. I love it so much. And, and, and there's no... Oh no, we mustn't call it literature. It's not just fan fiction about it because there were no tie-in novels back then. There were just a handful of novelizations and so <laughs> forth. So really bad it, ones ladies. too. Yeah, yeah, and <laughs> I've read those. They're bad. <laughs> and the panelists in this discussion were Sharon Ferraro, who was a zine publisher, fic writer, and con organizer, and Jean Laura a fic writer, novelist, and editor who would go on to write tie-in fiction, including the Vulcan Academy Murders and the TNG novel Survivors, which we discussed yes. in our tie-in fiction episode. And this panel took place at Sequestacon in 1976. Uh, it was tape-recorded by one fan and written up by the fan or uh, the organisers for a zine. Which is also adorable. I know! And it sounds like just the whole room got into it and it was so interesting and I can only imagine the drama if this panel was held today <laughs> because they sit down and start calling out authors and fix by name and title and one of the authors stands up and argues back uh, and it's just wildly interesting and a snapshot of fandom and fic writing fandom at the time. Amazing. You you put that note, you know, can you imagine if this panel was held today? And I was thinking about it and I was like, it sort of is, but it's like in social media and in comments. Yeah. But like, even that, there's not like really a, so much of a, like there's a lot of discourse, you know how we use that word yes. now, discourse, sort of to mean something completely different than what it actually means. But it, there's, there's still sort of this like uh, etiquette to it, I would say. You know, if someone leaves you a nasty comment and a fake and you didn't ask for it, like everybody will come in and say that was inappropriate, like yeah, you shouldn't have done yeah. that. And even online like if you're gonna say oh i just read this horrible you know star trek fan fiction it was so bad and so ridiculous like you don't use the names and you don't link to it like right you, you protect the anonymity of the person and so it was sort of like yeah even even though we can still be just as vicious mm -hmm. and just as critical yes but there is sort of this accepted way of doing things yeah that this this discussion like sort of flies in the face of which is interesting it's sort of like oh you know they can you can go both ways on on that that has pros and cons yeah there was a discussion on twitter a few weeks ago about racism in fandom and on ao3 and the one person cited 
a very specific uh, Michael Lorca slavery AU. And I knew exactly which fic she was talking about and I have shared her opinion and that fit is vile and I hate it and I hate that it's on AO3 and there's no way to block it when I search for Lorca fic. But mm-hmm. no one was linking to it, no one was saying this to the author's face. Apparently people have tried to go, eh, this is a very bad idea for a fic. And she's just like, lol, whatevs! we are critical but there's also just too many people in fandom to get all of us in a room or on one mailing list to to be part of this discussion oh and it's so interesting that you mentioned mailing lists because i i was there for the mailing list Mm. trek stuff (laughs) and so i do remember you know there was a lot of i guess it was like camps you know, people yes. who would be on, on one side or the other of a discussion. And that could get pretty intense sometimes. I, you know, I don't have any, it was sort of the end of it when I mm. was involved. So I feel like I witnessed the move from email list to uh, online I don't know, like, blogs. like AO3, what is it, archive? I guess archive, <laughs> online, yeah, like blogs and, and all, like a your own space, I yes. guess. Yes, yes. As opposed to we're all like sharing, we, they were literally, we would like email each other our fan fictions and they wouldn't go anywhere else. It would just be on this email list and like in the copy of the email list that was in Yahoo groups or whatever. Mm. And if you were, for example, part of a Janeway Chakotay group, you weren't necessarily with your friends or people you knew. That was certainly for me, my first mailing group was JHC22 and I just signed up and was allocated to this particular group. And Mm. there were some people there that I liked very much and there were some people there that I really, really disliked. And from there that gave me a foundation to go to the people I did like hey, let's start our own group with hookers and booze. <laughs> right. <laughs> but so, yeah, it's it's amazing and and crazy to think of, oh, we could just all have a conversation in, in one room and discuss it all. And, and that was cool. I'm sort of glad that we don't have to go back to those days. But at the same time, like, I like to think that these ladies would look at my fic and go, oh, yeah, she's totes feminist by the standards of 1976. <laughs> uh, because this essay starts I mean, off, feminism in much of Treklit can be regarded as non-existent, particularly in Grup-type stories. And Grup is, was an adult content zine which took its name from the slang for grown-ups in the TOS episode Miri. And I'm like, I can't think of a worse thing to name your smut scene. I know. That's so, so bad. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm turned off immediately, but it's just me here in 2021. <laughs> right, right. And it's interesting that they're complaining here that uh, the smut fic was very much generic, which I think is still a complaint these days. And <laughs> sometimes you read a fic and you're like, I don't think that really taught me anything new about the characters. I have no insight into how this author feels about them, save that she's sort of mashing her action figures together, which is not a bad thing, but it's not what I enjoy in fic. Right. Yeah. It's definitely not what I enjoy in fic. But I think <laughs> that my my interests are very well known at this point, and it's 
pretty much never sex. No. So, I, no. Oh well. It goes on to say, uh, some stories are anti-feminist in that women are segregated out of them. Action is all concerned with the male characters and the implication is that women are not liable to participate in such matters. I like to think that fandom has moved on. Well, yeah. I Yes, yes, fandom has moved on, but has society? Well, no, no. And I think <laughs> what's notable here is that they're not specifically talking about slash fic. They're, they're probably talking about, uh, I guess, what in the X-Files fandom was called case files or case mm. fics, where it's basically, I'm writing a Star Trek episode, but in prose format. And they're sort of reflecting the original series in that it is very doodly and yeah absolutely a lot of authors you know we say oh fandom is so subversive fic is about reclaiming the narrative <laughs> but honestly some people write fic because they like the narrative and they want more of it and there's nothing wrong nothing inherently wrong with that but if you're not applying a critical eye to your source then maybe you're reproducing its problems Mm. It's it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I just said I I have very specific likes and dislikes mm. in fic and fiction, for that matter. And it, it's yeah, there, there's a lot of stuff like I, case fic. I don't really need because I can watch the show for that. But curtain fic, mm. which is like the, the characters just doing, you know, like washing the dishes or arguing about Netflix. Like that, I, you know, eat up. Mm. That's my favorite thing. They, where there's no saving the world, there's just, oh, we saved the world, and now we're going home to relax and and decompress yes. and do whatever we want to do. And like, those are the fix that I like. And what happens after you save the world is a good story. I, it's not subversive, but it is something that's not in the fiction as it stands. I think it is subversive in a small way because you're adding the domesticity, which has been excluded from the primary narrative, and in doing so, highlighting that it too has value. It definitely has value. <laughs> I really like case fic that's character-driven, that's about the people, and I used to have that itch scratched by a tie in fiction, and it doesn't so much anymore. Uh, mm. Una McCormack, thank God she exists. Uh, but yeah, it's not really something we see so much now that tie in fiction exists. And also, I think there's a stronger impetus to uh, file serial numbers off and turn a fic into an original work. And if you go mm -hmm. into all the effort of writing a plot anyway, just do that little bit more and make it original. You know, I, I, I feel like there's less need for case fic. Yeah, oh. I agree. But it's also, I don't search it out. So maybe it's there and I just don't read it. <laughs> yeah, possibly. I have this idea for a Lorca Cordwell case fic where they're in their 30s and they have to go undercover as a married couple on like a human settlement that's outside of the Federation. And the reason I haven't started writing it is that I'm like, well, it's not very shippy, so where's the, where's the hook? Right, so so why am I doing it? Yeah, yeah. I get that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, the essay goes on. Other fics concern women, but in a very negative light. And they go on to discuss two fics in particular. One has the rather spectacular title of Murder, Rape and Other Antisocial... Other Unsocial Acts. And it's... I looked up, it has a fan law page of its own. It's about a Klingon family and there's a lot of comedy rape because it's the 70s. And... Yeah. It seems like something that would not really fly these days, and obviously it was subject to criticism at the time. And the other fic is titled An Abortive Attempt, in which a human gynaecologist is effectively extradited to Vulcan to face charges for performing an abortion on a Vulcan woman. Amazing! It is. Like, this is such a... A specifically <laughs> 1970s concept. And I have to yes. disagree that this is not a feminist story. This, to me, is a wildly feminist story. Like, yes. Just because something bad happens to a woman. I'm guessing that this, like, I couldn't find it online, but I'm assuming that this is not actually pro-life propaganda. And therefore it is a feminist story defending choice. I guess. Probably, I guess. <laughs> but amazing that, like, just just thinking about what you know, what do Vulcans think about abortion? Right, is like, oh my goodness. Because we, <laughs> what, what, a, what a great thing. We would go well. Obviously, reproductive rights and prop controlling uh, fertility down to the micro level is very logical. Pardon me, I'm losing my voice. We would think that extreme reproductive rights and micromanaging fertility is very logical. But then you think, well, they've got these arranged marriages and it's really hard to get a divorce. And Spock is actually quite sexist in the original series. He's sort of the logic over feelings guy mm -hmm. as opposed to feminist Jim Kirk, who's like, but feelings, Spock, they have their place. <laughs> Women, they're so beautiful. And so it's... it's for the 70s, it's a logical extrapolation of, of, of Vulcan culture. Of pro-life Vulcans. <laughs> I guess. I mean, I, yeah, I, I get it. I get it. But it's also, I can't imagine it would happen very often on Vulcan just because they know their cycle so well. Right. It sounds so weird. <laughs> but, and so, if, if something came up, I feel like there would be a logical reason for it to be needed like yeah i don't know i, I can just i just i feel like that you could use logic to come up with why you should have an abortion easier than why you shouldn't no i agree like i kind of perceive the star trek universe as being a lot like lois master bujold's future where we just control fertility so well and we have extra extra uterine gestation anyway so Unwanted pregnancies aren't really an issue for people very no. often. We can only hope. It's a nice, nice idea. But it's just interesting to me that this fic is such a reflection of the time in which, it, which it's written. And, yeah. you know, in 20 years, will people be looking back on their podcast that's broadcast straight into pre people's brains and going, wow, there are a lot of fics <laughs> about gay marriage back then. Gosh, that's, that's such a product so of weird. its time. Oh my goodness. I mean, again, we can only hope. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would love for 
our progressive future to actually be progressive. Yes, yes. I, I, I would love to do a thesis on something uh, or something about tracking social progress through issues in fan fiction and depictions in fan fiction. Uh, one day yes, when I absolutely. have time to do a PhD and can also go to Iowa to go through their zine archive. Uh, cool. Yes. Then we get to the discussion of specifically anti-feminist stories. And here they discuss a fic called How About a Raffle, uh, in which it's a Kirk Uhura <laughs> fic and Kirk accidentally sells Uhura into slavery. Yikes. So I don't think that just happens. Like, I was going to say it happens, but no. <laughs> no, that's that's not true. It doesn't just happen. They're dealing with some Orions and Uhura enters a dance contest, but it turns out that the winner is, like, the top slave or something. Oh, my God. Okay. It's still racist. I like the attempt to world build for the Orions. <laughs> don't get carried away. Mary Louise Dodge, the author, quote, rose and astonished the floor by stating that they were anti-feminist and anyway, the Orion dancers were only humanoid, not human or intelligent. Big yikes. Big yikes indeed. <laughs> that is straight up from, you know, uh, stories about masters. Yeah. yeah, like, <laughs> like you know, <laughs> and uh, and yet bad, bad. Don't ever go there, ever. Like, I don't want to be an auntie. Well, it's interesting. I looked up Mary Louise Dodge, and she was involved in fandom for a really long time. She was on the well committee. She ran the mailroom. She organized cons. She wrote a lot of fic, and. I feel like we would have crossed paths had I been in fandom at the time because she was very much a, a het writer and she wrote a lot of Kirk Uhura, which I probably would have shipped back then. Mm -hmm. uh, and she was very vocally anti-slash and anti-porn. And I've actually put a note here that I guess you could call her fandom's first anti. Uh, and after one con, she wrote a famous letter to a bunch of zines complaining that there was smut uh, smutty zines and smutty art openly displayed on the floor and in the art show and <laughs> you know why can't we get back to the good wholesome values of the 1960s uh, yay for concern trolling having a, <laughs> a deep history yes yes I think that you know I do think smut should be opt-in but and and Certainly, she is the person responsible for like age statements in zines and stuff. And there was a lot of a lot of things in in fan culture at the time that wouldn't be acceptable today, like dressing mm. up as Spock and Kirk's erect penises. <laughs> Can you imagine going to like Comic Con? That uh, in and that seeing costume? that, yeah, yeah. Uh, but at the same time, like she's not talking about consent. She's talking about she just hates smut and hates slash and is quite deeply homophobic and right. doesn't apologize which i which i enjoy but i've sort of started thinking of her as the phyllis slash uh, schlafly of fandom yeah so you're wrong about the podcast just did a deep dive into tipper gore oh. versus met you know like heavy metal basically yes it's sitting in my podcast feed but the reply all yeah. expose on on bon appetit came up and took precedence 
that is amazing. <laughs> I understand your priorities. <laughs> but it really reminds me of all this stuff. Uh, not, you know, that what we're talking about here with Mary Louise, but also with the whole anti-culture now. Yeah. And even in academia, the idea that should you get a content warning or not on your syllabus. Yeah, yeah. And sort of there is a difference between opting in, like mm -hmm. having it having it be clear what something is uh, versus censorship. Yes. And it's like we've been talking about this for 50 years and we still haven't figured that out. And... <laughs> it's it's just really interesting and it's because and the, the issue is that if you look at what Mary Louise has problems with versus what Tipper Gore has problems with mm. versus what the whole anti-Raylo crowd have problems with it's like the bar shift but it what it comes down to is I don't like this and, and therefore, therefore it shouldn't be a part of society yes <laughs> it's like as opposed to, I, I don't like this, therefore I don't want to see it. Right. Which is the whole argument for, you know, using tags. Yeah. And and using databases and having a little sticker that says explicit lyrics. Yes. Is not, is not hurting anyone. But if there was, like, they wanted the occult stickers, <laughs> you know, and it's like... <laughs> Guys, you can't just go around saying, you know, this is the occult. <laughs> you know, it's like you can't, like there are, there are certain things that are subjective and you can't, you can't decide to have a label that has that level of subjectivity. Yeah, yeah. And like, is that, it... like that's a slippery slope <laughs> towards, you know, oh, now we're going to have like Muslim stickers or we're going to have Jewish stickers, you know, it's yes. like it gets really bad really quickly. And there so, are certainly parts of America where Catholicism would get an occult sticker. Exactly. So it's just really, there, there are levels. This is a conversation that, like I said, mm. we've been having for a long time and I think we're going to continue having I, for I a long time. I think it's time. important that we keep having this conversation because the context is always changing and right. we need to keep examining it as much as we were talking about the Lorca and michael slave fic yes that i'm not gonna read and i'm not going to encourage no, in any way no. but i also am not gonna say she can't write it or post it i no. just want to opt out <laughs> and the same with mary louise and her let's accidentally sell Uhura into slavery. <laughs> like, that's nothing I ever want to read, and I'm kind of upset hearing about it. Yeah. But okay, you're you're allowed to do that. I don't want to read it. And I, I want to know mm -hmm. that it's going to happen so that I don't have to read it. And, and, you know, the problem with AO3 is that there is no way to block this author or to stop this fic from appearing in every single tag that the author applies and... I think particularly blocking someone is an option that they really need. And when you look at zines, it's much, much harder to avoid uh, unless unless you only subscribe to zines whose editors you know won't publish Mary Louise Dodge. And I'm sure that there were some. She seems to be incredibly polarising. But what if you want, you know, nice het fic zine issue three and it has five great stories and one Mary Louise Dodge? 
Right, exactly. The, the reason that we keep talking about it is there's no easy answer. No! There's just compromises and it's it's hard it's a it's a thorny question but and for the record i would have subscribed to nice het scene issue three and then i would have written a snarky letter to its letter column complaining (laughs) about mary louise dodge and her terrible fic because that was acceptable at the time exactly (laughs) That's that's the other thing it's so interesting yeah it's so interesting and like you know Comments on AO3 are like, you know, I would say at least 80% positive. Yeah, and I think that's because comments are for the author, whereas mm, yeah. this is a review culture rather than a feedback culture. Ooh, ooh really So the discussion good. is less, it's more readers talking to readers than readers Very, talking to writers. Yes. Very, and that's another thing, like that's something that I kind of wish we still had is like, you know, fanfic treated as like i would love to read some reviews or or a deep dive into one author's recurring themes or something like i would be super into it i understand that people wouldn't like it (laughs) like you know the authors but i would love it and honestly i wouldn't mind if people did it for me like i would love like the themes of domesticity and uh you write a lot of baby fic, but it's not because, oh, babies are so cute. I love children. I'm sure you do. Babies are cute. But it's about what do we as flawed parents pass on to our children and how do we make mm-hmm. them better than, how do we make their lives better than what we've had? And this this seems to occur in all of your fic that I've read in any fandom. <laughs> So strange that oh, I'm obsessed no. with uh, the relationship between parents and children mm. and their parents, mm. and their children. Mm, so strange. <laughs> uh, and trauma. Like, yeah, I, yeah. I know. I know what the things that I focus on. I focus on adoption. Mm. I focus on identity. I focus on re- uh, sibling relationships. Like, these are things that are, like, I think I've said before that everything I write is actually about me. Right. Like yeah, I don't have to put a Mary Sue into <laughs> anything and I don't I don't have very many original characters. But I one hundred percent give Katrina Cornwell my own backstory. Right. Right. And I've seen that in your fix. She often in often in your fix she has lost a parent at a young age and mm-hmm. is dealing with that even into adulthood. And, but it doesn't feel like, oh yeah, that's just Annika putting her own thing on on Cat. That it it feels like it's exploring. Yeah, her. yeah. At least that's my intention. I don't want to. <laughs> but but yeah. So I would love, I would love to be a, even a part of like a, a book club <laughs> or something where we read each other's fic and talk about it. Like I think that would be so fun. I'm... And I'm sort of sad that that culture doesn't exist anymore. It's sort of like bookmarks on AO3 are for readers rather than writers. And sometimes, like, there's a piece of feedback that was was attached. It wasn't feedback. It was just a a note attached to a bookmark of of one of my fics that said, really good handling of disability. And I was like, Mm. this is the greatest feedback I have ever not really received. I'm so (laughs) proud. (laughs) 
but the other thing is, uh, quite a few years ago in Doctor Who fandom, I created a sock puppet and started reviewing the fix that were nominated for an award. Uh, and it started out as a very mean, <laughs> uh, bitchy sort of thing to do because I thought that the fix being nominated were not award worthy. Note, my own mm. fix were nominated. So I was not an, uh, a neutral observer. But I wound up finding like it was a really interesting way of reading outside of my usual field and going, okay, well, this is a 10 rose fic and I don't ship that. And there's a this fic is almost entirely made up of things that don't resonate with me at all. And now I understand why I don't read this fit this sort of in, in this genre. But this is actually a really good fic. And I think that if you were a 10 rose shipper, you would really like it. Mm. And uh, then, you know, one of my so-called friends uh, revealed my identity on an anon meme and there was wank and uh, people still think I'm one of the worst people in Doctor Who fandom, which, uh, yeah, it was a whole thing. I don't recommend doing it. It's, it was not great. Wow. But uh, in terms of reviewing fix as pieces of literature, it was a really interesting experience. And I actually had people like saying, hey, will you review my fic? I think it, it would be a... I would, you know, they, I don't use beta readers very often mm. because I have a very particular way of writing mm. and I like it. Yes. I like my style and I don't want to change it. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't give it to people and say, does, you know, does this make sense? <laughs> Did I forget something? You know, is this good? Mm. I, I just don't, I don't need someone to tell me that before it's, published yep but once it's published i would love someone to read it and and critique it like i don't know why like you are flying without a wire <laughs> i just i i don't want to change it while i'm writing it but i would love to know what people think of it after the fact that's that's very interesting and i do use a beta reader hi i know you're listening uh because i have this problem where i don't close quotation marks and she's very good at finding stuff like that and also knows when to tell me that i'm disappearing up my own butt and when i am doing something really cool that she's enjoying and i appreciate that i appreciate you a lot uh back to the essay uh jean laura replied that it was not the treatment of the orion women that was irritating Okay, Jean. Uh, but Kirk's condescending good old boy attitude, the cute little girl is drunk, and that that attitude coming, for the fe coming from the female characters was unfortunately common in Trek literature. Do my thinking for me. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, they sort of move on to uh, original uh, characters, and apparently there was a trend to pair off McCoy with uh, sweet, innocent 18-year-old girls. Again, I don't want to be an auntie. <laughs> but why? <laughs> what What is that about? I... Yeah, it's not the sort of thing that I find appealing. My note here it's is... It's just... Yikes. Uh, I mean, doesn't McCoy have an 18-year-old daughter? Like, yes, yes. And according, little... according to Mary Louise, there was a lot of fic where he slept with his daughter. And I... What? Right! No, no. But because I don't fully trust Mary Louise as a source, I'm like, is that one fic she saw and it was an outlier and probably written to shock, like the notorious Draco Lucius skull-fucking fic? Or... 
was it an actual trend? And I'm pretty sure I'm it was really just a one-off. Though. Like, I, I'm disturbed, but I'm also like, wow, what was going on? What was, what was that about? I'm very curious. What was that about? I mean, I guess because McCoy is the oldest yes. and is the most paternal, but he's also the most like, I don't want to say feminine, but like feminine. He's a very caring person. And so, so it's, it's interesting. It's very interesting, you know, and I can definitely imagine being an 18 year old girl. Yes. And deciding that I wanted to date McCoy or like, you know, I could imagine of all of the people in Star Trek, he would be the best relationship. Like I can sort of see it going that way and ending up with this crazy fic but if it was a trend i'm just so interested (laughs) it's so weird and the thing is like these weren't 18 year old girls generally writing these fics these were like 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 housewives yeah yeah adult women (laughs) it's like the the whole twilight is is read by teenage girls and their mothers yes thing yes and and like that's what it sounds like to me this is not to disparage either housewives either, or, no. or <laughs> mothers who read Twilight because I feel like housewives stereotypically and middle-aged women are as dismissed as teenage girls because mm. they're women. Um, mm-hmm. But it's just interesting. And they don't make anybody any money. No, no. Uh, this There's a very nice remark here. Some of the reasons for badly drawn female characters is simply bad writing and male characters are just as unrealistic but this can improve. And then they talk about a specific series again. It looks like a, a series, okay. like pairing Sarek with a lady named Lorna. So Sarek gets his own Mary Sue. I have to go off on a tangent on this because Lorna is a very specific name. It's pretty old fashioned mm-hmm. at this point, like now. But my last name, Dane, is taken from Lorna Dane, oh. who is an X-Men character. Who was created in 1968? You know, she was introduced in 1968, but then she like joined the team in the late 70s. <laughs> so uh, Lorna Dane is Polaris, and she is Magneto's daughter. You know, at least 75 percent of the time. Right, right. His kids seem to have fluctuating identities. And she's my favorite X Men, X Man, X Woman, whatever. Mm-hmm. X, my favorite X. <laughs> And so when I was published, uh, when I was published in a a book of of comic book essays, I was published under the name Annika Dane Millick. And so when I got divorced and I changed my name, I just went to Dane. That makes sense. Yes. And, but it's like, it's Lorna, it's Lorna Dane. That's who it is. And, and and so this idea that this character that was created in the mid to late 70s as Sarek's wife after Amanda died, I'm like, so Sarek is now a part of my identity. <laughs> and I am really excited about that. So, like... Just so good. And apparently, Lorna's last name is Mitchell. Oh! So I'm like, so it's like Gary Mitchell's daughter, Lorna. But she's like from the past. Everything about it is amazing. Everything about this 
I, I had to look it up and I'm so excited by the whole idea. This sounds fantastic. I love it. I, I love it. And, and now I get to be, in some universes, mm. married to Sarek. I am deeply sorry for you. Then they go on to remark that, like, from Lorna in one fic to Lorna in another, quote, there has been a vast elevation of consciousness. And it's like, as I read that, like, my clothes turned into flares and my hair centre parted. Just (laughs) peak 77. Yeah, you started hearing at the, what's that song from Hair? Oh, oh, oh. I was dreaming about hair last night. I was. It's like in my head, but I, uh, you know, the morning song. Yeah, yeah. Oh. In the na 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 That song. <laughs> anyway, mm. you start hearing that song. I start hearing that song, just can't remember the lyrics. <laughs> and that sentence is also so supremely Lorna Dane. Like, the reason that I love Lauren Dane so much is that she's completely different every single time you meet her. <laughs> <laughs> and she she is, she has all of these, like, weird relationships with her parents, both Magneto and then, like, her adopted parents. And her relationships are all crazy, and she's, you know, she never feels good enough, and she's an only child, and all she ever wants is siblings and she's like there's so much and it's literally crazy i mean everything in the x-men is crazy but Mm. she is by far one of the most like just the fact that that every other story she's either magneto's daughter or not is is enough i'm getting very powerful wanda maximoff vibes oh yeah exactly i find it interesting that magneto's daughters tend to be sort of uh, very fluid, dynamic characters whose yeah. personalities and, and backstories are, are all, always changing. Like- and going back to something we were just discussing in this essay, the there's this this sort of idea that Magneto can be super powerful and like be able to destroy the planet at a whim, mm. and he is very serious and sad and and we have a lot of respect for him even if we don't agree with him Mm. whereas wanda and lorna have the same amount of power and can destroy things and they are crazy and like stable and they need to be have to be locked up and are a danger to themselves and others and it's like okay so magnino definitely tried to take over the world like four times Mm -hmm. but he's not a danger to himself or others like you created an entire prison for him that no one else like would ever need and yet he's not considered crazy or unstable or dangerous the way that wanda and lorna are yeah (laughs) yeah that's that's a thing (laughs) you know the next note in this essay is that a common theme in feminist treklet is responsibility and stories about women being given responsibility and handling it properly or needing to learn responsibility and doing so and my note here was are women people but it turns out that this is a story that uh the comics and and superhero Mm -hmm. genre at least is still grappling with and i think wandavision Mm -hmm. is doing it in a really interesting way and you know her wanda's allies are monica and uh what's her face Darcy. Darcy. Yeah. 
and mm-hmm. Jimmy Woo and to a lesser extent right now Vision but these with one exception are not white people and oh, sorry not mm-hmm. white men and they're the ones treated. and Vision is very like Vision is played by a white man but I don't mm. like he's one of those like on the line kind of people yeah I'm <laughs> like, just he is a white man but he's also not <laughs> in yeah. the story in the context of the story yeah I'm just my feelings about Paul Bettany are very complicated for Johnny Depp reasons, so I'm kind of lukewarm on wanting to see him ever. Hmm. Uh, but his performance mm-hmm. is great, his vision and all, and I just think it's depressing that this is still something that maybe oh, yeah. struggles with. And it's, it 100% mm-hmm. is. It's something that, I mean, look at Ray. Yes, yes. So, you know, <laughs> that's going to be my answer to everything. Ray. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so... It's a, uh, it's it, yeah. Uh, women are not people. Is uh, is is generally the, the yeah. women are ideas that uh, that or vessels that we can put ideas onto. I guess is the, the way. Yeah. It and then the other issue they discuss is issues that are of specific concern to women or of special concern to women, rather. And they talk about a fic where, a ra- uh, quote, a rape case threatens to ob- obscure the issue of a female officer's rights by triggering an overprotective reaction, which, again, going by T- TOS alone, seems like a pretty valid basis for a fic. Look at, look at all those episodes where Janice Rand is attacked and... The only people she has to go to about it are Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. Even if it was Kirk's evil double that attacked her. It's just bad. It's, yeah. Again, I'm really interested in this idea that they were, they were explored. They wrote, they were writing stories about rape and not, I mean, I haven't read the story, but it doesn't seem like it was sensationalizing rape. It seems like it was... Hey, this is a thing that happened in canon that didn't get the treatment that I want. And so let's talk about that. Yes. And let's talk about how not not the rape itself, but the reaction afterwards impedes justice mm-hmm. and, and recovery. That's super interesting. And still like, contemporary. And still contemporary. <sighs> uh and then they talk about um, Mary oh, Sue. Mary Sue. And basically, Mary Sue. you know, everyone on, on the Enterprise is extraordinary, but if you create a woman who is extraordinary, then she's a Mary Sue. Uh, and, and they debate, you know, do you write a male character and then make it female? Or do you try and create a three dimensional woman? And I still see these discussions now. Mm hmm. whatever gets you to a good character is a valid technique a couple things really uh jumped out at me one was uh showed some problems spock could have if he had been female as well as first officer yeah which is like see i mean i i'm very picky about Mm. gender swap fic because it can be done so poorly so easily yes but that's a really interesting question. If everything was the same except Spock was a woman, what would that mean? Is, you know, I, I'm interested in that. And if it was done well, then 
I it could be a really amazing story. Right. And so I love that they're bringing that bringing these questions up. And then another one was when one writes a female officer onto the ship. Mm. And part of this usually lies with her occupation. What does she do? Why is she on the ship? And what is her function when she is sent down to the planet? I'm like, and I'm just like, uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure you'd have to ask those questions about any original character that you made up. Yeah, men can have jobs so... too. <laughs> it's just, sir. And so what it comes down to is that it, it goes back to the earlier comment about how there weren't women in the show and mm. the women that were in the show didn't get to do what the men did, that Uhura got to take command once ever. Yes. And it was too late, basically. And it was in the animated series, which to an extent... Yeah, which doesn't... who even watched? Yeah. So I, I don't want to say it doesn't count, but it's only just now being treated as a serious and valid part of the Star Trek universe. Aside so from yesterday. Really, it's really interesting that they were sort of asking these questions seriously mm. amongst themselves, you know, and treating it with any kind of gravity. Because, A, I think the answer is obvious. <laughs> yes. And, B, we shouldn't have to answer the, like... What? <laughs> it's just they, the whole thing of let's like let's create a male character and and write it as a man and then switch it at the end. Like, yeah, sure. <laughs> and if if you're not going to do that, and which is fine, because gender does have an impact, or you know, can I should say, can mm. have an impact. You know, it's okay for someone's gender to have a meaning to them, but. You shouldn't like be have a emotional and intellectual quandary about why this woman is on this ship, right? If you wouldn't have that same quandary for a male character, why are you having it for this lady? Right, like they belong on the ship. That's that's my answer. Yeah, she's on the ship because that's her job. It's where Starfleet told her to be. The end. Finally, the one that really. You know, it just made me smile. One dead giveaway of a Mary Sue is when everyone on the ship loves her except Kirk. That is, that is my favorite fun fact that I've never heard before. No, me neither. I thought it was like I've seen Mary Sues where Kirk loves her and Spock doesn't. And, and I've seen all sorts of Mary Sues and they're all great. It, it was just amazing. I loved, mm. I loved that idea. The idea that... That people are, you know, reading a story and all of a sudden Kirk doesn't like someone and they're like, ah, oh, Mary Sue. Yep, <laughs> and, then, yep. and, then, and then that's it. That person, that character is tainted. <laughs> and you can't, you can't see that that character as anything other than Mary Sue. <laughs> like, it's just crazy, but amazing. Yeah. And I'm not saying that, that it's not true. I just think it's a, hilarious. I don't think it's a data point that became universal. Like, you don't see this in Star Trek Mary Sue Litmus no. tests. Remember right. the Litmus yes. tests? Wow. <laughs> Speaking <laughs> of fandom <do>. history. <laughs> they were like 80 questions long. I know. And you had to you had to put it in and then it would tell you if your character if your original character was a Mary Sue or not. And I uh, I will tell you, mm. I never 
I don't write a lot of original characters, like I said, but I never put in any original characters, but I constantly put in my version of canon characters. Mm. And the thing is that more than 50% of my answers were canon. <laughs> like, I wasn't like making things up about these people. It was, I was reading the canon when I was answering the question as my interpretation of the character that I saw on screen. No, this makes perfect sense to me because you know? I think it's Sean and Maguire who had an essay on Live Journal pointing out that Mary Sue is just another word for protagonist. Exactly. So it, I got plenty of like, yes, you are, it was mostly, usually I would get, you are, you are close to the line of crossing over into Mary Sudom <laughs> and you should take away at least one flaw or, you know, something like that. It was just like, okay, what is? I will tell, I will tell you not Mary. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry I need to summon the ghost of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle to tell him that Sherlock Holmes is a Mary Sue. You know who's a real Mary Sue? Watson. Yes! 100% a Mary Sue. Well, I feel like Holmes is the idealised Mary Sue and Watson is the self-insert Mary Sue. Mmm, I can see that. Mm. <laughs> the panel then fled from Mary Sue stories. <laughs> As we all... <laughs> and they talk about how it's difficult to create a good female character because there aren't many templates to draw from in Star Trek. And like I said, yeah. Yeah. Plenty there are plenty of strong masculine characters to work from, but we're very few women. And, and the thing. Yeah. And again, so here in 2021, every woman in mm. Star Trek has been called a Mary Sue at least once. And honestly, most of them are pretty interesting. Like, they're not necessarily strong people, but generally they're more complex than we give credit for. Right. So it's, it's just, first of all, just stop talking about Mary Sue's and let it go. That's, that's, that's my, uh, my take number one. <laughs> Yes. And take number two, just because a woman is a woman <laughs> and a new character in an old fandom does not mean that they are a Mary Sue automatically. Yeah. Then they talk about, uh, it's sort of a digression, which obviously we're familiar, um, we're familiar with here. <laughs> uh, most blonde women were dependent and ineffectual while brunettes were usually forceful and controlled their own destinies. And they give the example of Major Barrett who goes from number one to chapel. And I had never thought of this and I think overall as a pattern it holds for the original series. But I also think that there were, you know, uh, existing stereotypes about blondes versus brunettes. Right. Um, that's, that's my... Uh, yeah. I... Uh, I don't think that I don't think that that's Star Trek. No, <laughs> I don't think Star Trek created that idea. No, uh, you know Marilyn Monroe movies. She always has a brunette offsider who's a lot smarter and more together than she is, and so so strange. It's yeah, so it's weird. It's like blondes are more beautiful and have more fun, and people are more interested in them. But the brunettes are the smart ones and the ones with depth and it's just mm. like this is weird okay unless unless you get the sort of hitchcock blonde who is terribly intelligent but also 
cold and damaged, and that's Seven of Nine. Mm, yes. But it's also interesting that they cite Chapel because the whole reason that I wanted to do an an essay on an, an episode on zines is that I have a paper copy of issue 25 of T Negative, which has a wonderful essay about Christine Chapel, basically saying everyone writes her off as a dumb blonde with no agency who's only in love with Kirk. And actually she is a really, really interesting character. And then the author goes on to discuss Christine in both canon and in fiction. And mm. it was a wonderful essay. And I was going to cite it. We talked about doing a Chapel episode, but Women at Warp had just done one. And yeah. Uh, justice for Christine Chapel, who's not even a character I really care about, but this character, this essay made me want to. Right, that's my take on a lot. You know, there's a, there's the characters that I really, really, really care about, mm. and everybody who listens to this podcast could like name them. Yes. And then there's all the other women characters who like I will meet you in an alley and punch you. Right. To, to protect them, like. I will 100% go to battle for every woman on Star Trek. Yes, even the ones I don't like. There's just, there's, all of the arguments against them are sexist. <laughs> That's where I'm at. One day I'm going to present the argument that Loxana Troy is narcissistic and not necessarily fully abusive to Deanna, but she is not good to Deanna, and that's the only argument that I will accept against Loxana. <sighs> Right, exactly. And that's the difference, is that that is a critique of Luexana as a person. Right. Which it's not, is totally fair. It's not just she's middle-aged and thinks she's sexy. Right. We shouldn't put, like, women on a pedestal either, but it, the, the critiques aren't critiques. They're just, I don't like, again, it's I don't like this, and I'm going to write them off. Like, hmm. I just watched Star Trek 2009. You did. And I am so ready to go to battle for Uhura, like, I, it's upsetting to me. Mm. I've seen that movie many times now, you know, like a dozen, let's say, I don't know. <laughs> I've and seen it twice. I hear now, having been in Trek, fan like back into Trek fandom since the first time I saw it kind mm -hmm. of thing, and I can just hear all the negative comments as I'm watching the show. Like I'm sitting here and I'm watching the movie and I just hear all this chatter. You know, Uhura is telling Spock to put her on the Enterprise and there's 800 voices in my head saying how she's a nagging girlfriend. Mm -hmm. And I just like, no, <laughs> no, she is not. She is standing up for herself the way that like any person should. <laughs> Right. And and the fact, like, their relationship is a wrinkle to it. It is not the reason for it. Mm. And if Kirk did exactly the same thing, people would be applauding him. Yes. Yes. So I can't. It, it Like, every single thing, as I was watching the, the movie, every single thing that Uhura did... I imagined Kirk doing it and having all of the people like, you know, saying, oh, it was the, the best version of Kirk. Mm. I was just like, Ugh. and that, and I'm saying that as someone who thinks that Chris Pine is the best version of Kirk. You know, there, there are credible rumors that Strange New Worlds is going to feature a young Ahura. There's a casting call for a young African-American woman to play a comms officer whose name in the casting call is African. 
Justice Uhura is based on the Swahili. And I've seen people going, oh, good, Strange New Worlds is going to do a, you know, they're going to fix Uhura, they're going to do her properly. And I'm like, no, they're just going to do her differently. Peck Spock is not better than Quinto Spock. They're just different, different, in- different mm-hmm. interpretations of Nimoy's Spock. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah, so sorry, tangent, but tangent. I just. I get super defensive of these women characters because people are against them for really silly reasons. Yeah. Moving on, we hit a marvelous piece of fake news. Another problem with female characters is that feminism can become too much an issue. Oh dear. I love this because literally like two paragraphs before that, they're saying that feminism is the reason, like, it, that that the lack of female characters mm. is like the reason that it's hard to write female characters. It's like that, that's, guess what guys? <laughs> You're being feminist in that argument. And so now these women are, are saying that there's too much feminism in my Star Trek and I, again, I'm pretty defensive (laughs) and they cite this amazing sounding fic where number one is now it says in this in this recap she is now an alien ambassador but according to fan uh the fan lore page for the fic itself she is the captain of the uss hood and any friends of DeSoto can just take a moment to say best boss i ever had Uh, she sits down with a Romulan commander and they both, quote, bitch interminably about being trodden on by the men in their lives, losing the plot amongst the complaints. And, like, oh my God. maybe the fic is sort of hijacked by this and the story it was telling, it promised to tell, is not the story that eventually came out. I just really, really want to read this fic. I really want to read it too, and that's what I'm saying. Yeah. That is the kind of stuff that I love to read and write in fic, which has absolutely nothing to do with the plot, but all about their feelings and their lives and their interpretation of what's going on. And I just love the idea of number one and a Romulan, like, (gasps) comparing notes. Because, like, I'm just saying the Romulans had women in command before the Federation. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Uh, Uh, I... I ship it. And they note that the theme of women cooperating with women is a good one and just beginning to develop. And, you know, I still get a weird, warm, self-righteous glow whenever I write that in my fic. So I'm (laughs) glad it's still a thing. I wish it was more of a thing. I just, yeah. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then they move on. (laughs) This is the best. The most important (laughs) question. What about... The men. <laughs> okay. So again, I have to tell a story about today. Yes. <laughs> My most popular fan vid on YouTube mm. is a a vid about the animated women in Star Wars. So it's all animation, Rebels, and Clone Wars. And that's actually, I made it before Resistance. So that's it. Rebels and Clone Wars. Nice. And this one is one of, one of, if not my best, and it's my most popular. Right. And it's like ages old now. Like I said, pre the last season of Rebels. 
And I still get comments all the time because, again, it's the one that, like, shows up in the algorithm or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And today, I got this amazing comment that was just very, just one question, four words. What about man person? Man person. Man person. And I just started laughing and laughing. And I was like, okay, I'm designing a t-shirt that just says, what about man person? And I'm buying one for all of my friends because that is an amazing comment. I think that we need to release stickers on Redbubble that say, what about man person? What about man person? Like that, it was just so good. Like that's how I ended up with social justice Klingon warrior in my in yeah, my, yeah. Uh, your Twitter bio is because someone accused me of being a social justice warrior for Klingons and I was like yup yep. yes I mm-hmm. am mm-hmm. exactly so it's just it's so... well we found so this funny. episode's title <laughs> <laughs> what about man person what about man person and it's just like okay dude mm-hmm. this video is literally a celebration of women that's that's the title that's what it says star wars women i made one for star trek too star trek women annika and what about man person <laughs> go watch star trek like go watch literally the entire original trilogy and most of the rest yep. and you can find all the man person you want <laughs> so so the discussion here what about man person why aren't men writing trek fic uh there are many males in trek why aren't they writing uh one suggestion was that men can't take criticism very well and women are used to it and like such a go- i mean every answer that they come up with is actually kind of great. it is but i'm like people call us misandrous to look at this <laughs> Criticism is a good tool. The Star Trek world would seem to appeal to males. One expects Marty Sues, but gets Mary Sues. But many male Trek fan don't want to write about it, instead want to be in it. And I think this is really interesting because if you look at the fan works which are dominated by men at the writing and production level, it's fan films. Yep. And... There's the perennial post on the Star Trek subreddit, hey, I just wrote a Star Trek novel, how do I get it published? And they never want my AO3 invite. Yeah, I mean, I think that this is actually a a really amazing insight Mm. that is absolutely true. Like, in in all fandom. Yeah. And and I think... Men... Go on. Do do that. Like... Women, they, they, there's this, we've, I think we've discussed before how there's the transformative mm. versus like uh, critical or, or collecting. Collective. Yeah. And, and we, like, again, we just said there aren't enough women doing stuff mm. in Star Trek in the 1977. And so they were they were saying, hey, I'm going to create a, a woman character who does something. Mm. And whereas the men are like, I'm going to, you know, make a, a movie where I play Captain Kirk. Yeah. And somehow 
they don't see that as fanfic. No, no. And it's like a few years ago, pre-pandemic, I saw the play Puffs, which is essentially a Gary Stu uh, fic in the form of a play. And it's a professional piece of theatre. You can see it on Broadway online or something. And I highly recommend it. It was a good evening. I have very mixed feelings about Harry Potter these days, but it was it was a lot of fun. But it struck me that mm. the ordinary kid got, gets his Hogwarts letter and goes to Hogwarts and is on the periphery of the events of Harry's school years mm-hmm. is a fic that I have seen many, many times. And the difference is... So many times. The difference is, like, those fics were mostly written by women and this... This guy was like, oh, yeah, that's a valid idea. I am going to write a play and I am going to make it enough of a parody that it is a professional endeavour. And it's just interesting that yeah. men are more... Willing to do Yeah, that. yeah. And I think it's... I, I love fan fiction and I love the amateur... That we have this community of amateur writers who love something. But mm-hmm. do we? do we as the women and marginalised people of fandom need to be more open to also being professionals? Or does something get lost yeah, in so, that? Yeah, it's a really good question mm. because I am very much of the opinion that if all you want to do is write fan fiction, more power to you. Absolutely. Like, that is absolutely valid. That is, you're still a writer. Yeah. You can call yourself a writer. You are a creative. You are coming up with something that someone else didn't do. Right. Like, your fic is original even if it's fanfic right and even so, if it's using tropes and ideas that have been used before unless you are literally copying and pasting from someone else's story it is still unique right they speculate that boys aren't interested in writing it's cute in girls and effeminate in boys in the high school years and boys should go out and do it not daydream and i i think there might be some level of truth in that I, or certainly there may have been then and, you know, toxic masculinity and all of that. Uh... So here's what I wrote after. I copied that over into my notes, mm-hmm. that uh, sentence, writing is looked upon as cute in girls, effeminate in boys. Mm-hmm. And the sentence that I wrote is, hey, is it possible that this nonsense is why we have so few, few women writing Trek novels right now? Oh, just an idea, just a thought. Yeah, uh, they do. They do go on to note most F- SF writers are men, but that isn't Trek. And also, that's not true. Yeah, even back then, like, that was not true. Sorry, that what that definitely wasn't true in the seventies. No, there were many women writing science fiction in the seventies. This. This was the age of McCaffrey and Butler and Le Guin like, and more. Yeah. Those are just the ones Literally we everything I read. Yeah. <laughs> everything I read in the 80s were written, was written in the 70s. Yeah. So that's just wrong, yeah. eh? Joanna Ross was writing Kirk Spock fic and also science fiction <laughs> novels. <laughs> exactly. It's society. It's not, it's not us. It's not me and you who's keeping... Una McCormick as the only woman allowed to write mm. Star Trek right now, right? Right, right. Like, it's the people in charge. And the people in charge have decided that science fiction should only be written by men. And they are going to, like, make that happen. Right. 
And so it's interesting that men seem to self-exclude from fan fiction. And I think that's less true now than it was then. But it's certainly interesting because they go on... There's a bit down here. Uh, at least a third of Trek fan are male. I died. <laughs> but they speculate that perhaps the death of men in zines is self-perpetuating since male writers are reluctant to submit their precious manuscripts to female criticism. That is true. That is. And like, I will say, I know some male writers mm. who have not submitted their manuscripts because they don't want to hear it. And, I, you know, I said, like, a, you know, a while ago that I don't have a beta reader for, like, the same reason. Yeah. So I'm not saying that, that it's like they shouldn't be like that, but it is a thing. Mm. No, no, what struck me was that with... Uh, the internet, like the, the gatekeepers and the editorial process disappeared for fan fiction and we see mm. some more men now than we had then, but still not that many and it's I like it's a mystery to me know, because I don't know any. writing fan fiction is great, why would you why would you not? Like I don't, there aren't any men in our Cat Cormel Discord. No! There's some a couple of non-binary but no men. No, certainly no cis men. Is it just not a community that's appealing to cis men? And and why? Yeah. Is it because is it because they're not paid for it, and you have to like you have to be a you know I I hunt and gather and bring everything in like. It's, again, mm -hmm. <laughs> the patriarchy is bad for everybody. <laughs> Capitalism is bad for everybody. There's a very strange and amusing digression here. Cogswell and Spano, may slime, in slime devils infest their typewriter, were mentioned yeah. as trotting around at cons getting opinions for Spock mess. But again, those are pros, such as they are. And <laughs> I assume that Cogswell and Spano are nicknames? Uh... I don't know what Spock mess is. I didn't really get any useful Google results. It might be a zine. I was wondering if maybe they were nicknames for Harlan Ellison or Isaac Asimov or David Gerald, who were all part of the fan community and were certainly noted uh, people who trotted around as cons. And Gerald was deeply hated by a lot of women in fandom because he's a complete donkey. And, and is was not able to say I don't care for Slash without also saying Slash is written by fat, ugly housewives who need to get laid. Like, yeah, so... Thanks for the triples, right, mate. Exactly. You can just move along. Again, you're fine. You don't have to read the Slash. <laughs> but that's just, that's just... I don't like this thing. Yeah. No. If anyone out there knows what this aside... Who this aside <laughs> refers to, please tell us, because I require much gossip. <laughs> Uh, also, I kind of want to have an opinion on Spock mess. Yeah, I would very much like to have an opinion, to know what it is, so that I can have an opinion on it. I would really like to have an opinion about it, so let me know what that means. Yes. Uh, it's a waste. If we can get mediocre, rotten, and fairly good ideas from female authors, why not from male? <sighs> okay, look. Uh, I don't actually need <laughs> men to have a bigger footprint in fandom. No, but I... Because no. they have 
reality. It's true. It's true. But so fandom was so female dominated back then. At least a third of Trek fan are male. That that I understand why in these formative years it would have been nicer to have 50-50. And then it goes, masculine domination of straight SF was brought up again with the observation that SF is written by and large for adolescent males. No, that is not true. That is not true in the 70s. And that the field has been changing to human relationship or alien relationship stories, largely on account of the female writers. Who did exist? (laughs) And I love that they discuss original SF alongside fic, Treklet. Yeah, but they're they're sort of basically talking about them in the same way. Like, like, these are both forms of science fiction writing. Right, and... Like I said, Joanna Russ was writing Kirk Spock fic, and these days Naomi Novik is the founder of AO3 and also writing acclaimed novels, which I personally do not care for, but I don't read them and don't complain that they exist. Uh, you know, because... Um, There's a lot of stuff that I don't read and don't complain that exists. <laughs> Put that out there. Because I'm sort of in the con organizing scene, I pay a lot of attention to like Hugo's and I nominate and I try Mm -hmm. to read as many of the nominated works as I can. And Mm -hmm. sometimes I'm like, no, no, this is a bad, this is a bad year for work specifically designed to appeal to me. (laughs) I, I probably read more fan fiction than science fiction. Yeah. Published science fiction. Yeah. Like, if, if what... I'll be honest. No, no. A lot of people do. And, uh... Partly because it's free. Mm-hmm. Partly because it's about characters I already love. Yeah. And it is so hard to care. Like, it takes real skill to create original characters that other people care about. It's hard. That is true. It's a real skill. That is very true. And... Even when you do, like, let's take Daenerys Targaryen. <sighs> Alas. J.R.R. Martin, uh, G.R.R. Martin <laughs> created her, right? Yes. Whatever, him. Yes. He made you care about her. I guarantee mm. that I care more about Daenerys Targaryen than he does. And I also guarantee that I care more about Daenerys Targaryen than... D D or the other D. Yeah, no, I don't know about about her. I absolutely agree with you on that. You you win that easily, like yeah. So that's why I'm gonna go read fan fiction about Daenerys Targaryen because you know instead of caring about when Winds of Winter ever comes out. But also that, you know, you're entering into a contract with a fic writer where they're saying, look, I love this character and I care about them too. And you're like, cool, I'm going to sit with you and we're going to care together. Right. We're going to care together and we're going to fix, Mm. like, you know, fix it fic is like a, a really popular tag for every fandom because every fandom needs to be fixed for someone i was very against the idea of fix it fic as a concept because i'm like sure you can change and you can alter what the show does but ultimately you know what i love is canon and then they blew someone up and i am very pro fix it fic uh i i am a cornwell denier yes it's interesting so this is uh, this is a you know 
where my love of alternate universes mm. comes in where I can like a fix it fic is just an alternate universe. It doesn't mean that the canon didn't happen. Right. It's right. like here's a different way it could have gone. And I love that because characters who are thrown into many different plots and many different situations and circumstances and the way things went. Mm. The seeing the the similarities the, the through lines and like their strengths and their skills and their innermost being like how it comes out yes in whatever happens to that person that's what's interesting to me that's the identity stuff that i'm always talking about that's like this is what matters mm. to this character mm. and there's a really a really interesting writing trick where if you're not sure you understand your original character you should go and write an AU of them. So if you're trying to write a fantasy, go scribble out a coffee shop AU and see see what is actually essential to that character. And Exactly. Yes. And now I'm wondering, is the reason for the whole Mary Sue discourse and this whole discussion about original characters in fan fiction because a lot of these writers were novices and didn't have the skills to make people care about their original characters and absolutely and i like i have still have some of my fanfic that i wrote when i was 13 and it is bad <laughs> even <laughs> there are two voyager fix that i wrote way back when that i put on my ao3 mm. because they're like the two yes. that i think are acceptable and they are still bad oh yeah like they're they are like i put them up because I'm proud of them, but I'm proud of them 20 years ago. Yes. You know, it's like, thank God I have improved since this time. The first fic so, that I ever actually finished was a Savage Garden song fic where Q watches Janeway and Chakotay dance. It is <laughs> not good at all. But in my defense, I was 14 years old. Exactly. It's like... And and I think that that's that matters. Yeah. Like, what I one thing that I really love about fanfic and that I love about the you know having a profile on archive of my own is that I can go back to this stuff that is mm. fifteen years old and I can say like oh this is like I'm telling this this story again in this new fic. Yeah. But look at how much I've improved. Look at how I've been able to like tease those ideas into something so much, like mm. into so much more of a blossom. And, and with, with these women who were writing fic in the seventies, you know, the general profile of a Trekkie back then was a middle-aged college educated woman who had married straight after college, had children, maybe she had a part-time job as a receptionist or a secretary or something like that. But this was her first mm -hmm. creative outlet in decades and her first writing right. work in decades. And right. it is the work of intelligent, educated, untrained writers who are practicing mm -hmm. and... Exactly, practicing. Yeah. And, and also, I love, I love that fanfic doesn't have to have like a beginning, a middle and an yes. end. <laughs> it doesn't have to have. And it's also like, you don't have to waste time on 
telling them about the character, you can just tell them about what the character is feeling right now because I already know who Spock is. <laughs> so you don't have to tell me who Spock is. You just have to tell me what Spock is doing right now and how it makes him feel and how it's like different from what he feels in the episode I just watched. Mm -hmm. Like it, it allows you to hone your skills with a very low like bar like you don't have to you don't have to prove anything you, like the worst thing that happens is someone doesn't like your fic right <laughs> and we talked at the beginning and i guess this brings us full circle but we talked at the beginning about how the criticisms in this panel were not the sorts of things that would fly today and people could be really upfront about mm -hmm. not liking stuff but I read some of the letters of comment for Big Fix around this time and there was one and it's a very a well-known writer and I cannot remember who she was possibly even Paula no not Paula Smith anyway the letter of comment was basically you need to slow down or no she needs to slow down it was a letter to the scene not to the writer mm -hmm. she needs to slow down and consider her pacing and really take time to settle into a scene and let things unfold because she is not a bad writer now, but she is going to be really, really good when she's comfortable enough to take her time. And right. that's a really, really fantastic feedback and put really kindly. And so, yeah, fandom hasn't changed that much. And that's one of the things where they say, you know, okay, you can go to college mm. for literature or whatever. And mostly you get beaten down. Yes. And and you get told, you know, this is what you're doing wrong. And this is the way you need to do better. And fanfic is, is the opposite where it's like, they're not going to tell you how to fix things necessarily. They're going to tell you, like, they're going to encourage you. Mm. And even when they say something negative, it's in an encouraging way. And I think that the balance of, like, both yes. is the perfect. <laughs> yes. That's, you know, the, the best way to make a writer is to have both. Absolutely. Are we done? Should I outro? I think so. Because okay. it's really hot here and I need another shower. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for Texas. It is, uh, yeah, yeah. It, it is cold and snowing here, so... If I could send you and, my ex And I'm not Texas, thank no. God. Oh, my God. Thank you for listening to Antimatterpod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.tumblr.com, including links to our social media and credits for our theme music. You can follow us on Twitter at, at @antimatterpod and on Facebook, because the, as far as Facebook is concerned, we are not a news source. That's a bit of Australian humour <laughs> for you. If you like us, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. And join us in two weeks where we'll be discussing bisexuality in Star Trek. It will be great.